This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, hello, everyone. How are we doing today? Hopefully you guys were able to get outside and get some of that fresh air, especially during these crazy times. We all know how good that fresh air is for your health and your happiness. So hopefully you guys all got to enjoy a little bit of that today. I've had a great weekend. I duck hunted with some friends and we didn't get as many ducks as we should have. But as always, that's not what hunting is about. It's not about killing the animal. There was a lot of giggles. Remy learned some more. Each time we go out, she gets a little bit more and more experience. So I had a great weekend and now I'm exhausted. Now I'm ready to curl up and uh, take a nice long winter's nap and wake up in the morning and start my week then. So, all right, a little bit about this week's episode. I'm going to backtrack first before we get too much into that. Last week's episode, if you gave a listen, was a story on how my friend Dylan nearly escaped death in the high country of Colorado. Great episode of a story of persistence and mental strength. Honestly, I think if it was any other person out there, they probably would have died. But I've known Dylan for a long time, and he's always had this crazy, mental, strong, rock-hard mind. When he puts his mind to something, there's no giving up. A little bit stubborn as well, so sometimes that can come back and bite you in the butt when you're in the backcountry by yourself, and sometimes it can get you through some pretty scary times. So if you haven't heard that episode, head on over to our podcast and type in the Western Hunting Hub and listen to episode 62 as Dylan tells a story of a lifetime. Moving on to this week's episode, I am meeting with Matt Jost from Colorado Mountain College. He's local here in Steamboat. He's Swift Water Rescue. He's Wilderness First Aid. The list is on and on and on. So he's got a lot of education under his belt. And I thought what a great episode to follow up with Dylan's story on what to expect when you're in the backcountry, things to carry in your pack from your first aid kit to important food. Um, I learned a lot during this episode myself. I was making a little list as he talked about certain things he carries in his pack. But I'm definitely going to go back to this episode and listen again and remake that list. So feel free to grab a pen and paper while you listen to this episode if you have the time to do that. If you're not driving, if you're sitting down, 
because uh, it's a great, great first aid kit, great things to keep in your pack for when you are out hunting or you're out camping, you're out on the river, anything like that. These tools are great to have anytime you're away from immediate help. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I definitely did. Hope you learned something new today and I hope you guys have an amazing week. Enjoy. All right, so my name is Matt Jost. I work for Colorado Mountain College uh, as the Assistant Dean of Instruction. I oversee our outdoor program, ski business, restaurant management, and hospitality management. And I have overseen our EMS department in the past as well. Uh, so an, an administrative role with the college and um, yeah, love education and, and so much. So I, I love teaching it within some of these programs as well. So my background is outdoor education and kind of the, the parts that go with that. So that's kind of where you were asking me questions about wilderness medicine. So I, I enjoy teaching our wilderness first responder courses and um, I teach avalanche rescue, our level ones and twos through Aerie, as well as swift water rescue. Um, so uh, I've helped with EMT, but the rescue, the rescue environment is something that I really thrive and enjoy on. And yeah, so I think as a, you guys have a, a cool podcast here. So I'm also a hunter. That's a pretty big passion of mine that to do in my free time. And when, when I listen to kind of the past episode and, and thinking about just going out hunting in general, um, it sounds like there were some things that went really well for that, uh, individual Dylan. And, and, um, he probably took away a lot of learning opportunities mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. <laughs> right as we do every time first, we go out. yeah his very yeah. first elk hunt i told him i yeah. was like this is insane you had an experience that i hope i never have <laughs> right but especially right. as your very first elk hunt especially being solo and he's like yeah i've got the the solo wiggles out i don't ever want to have to do that again so he definitely walked yeah, away learning a yeah. lot from that one Solo hunts are, are really intense, and while I enjoy doing it solo, um, I am a fan of keeping a retrieval team on hand, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. who wants to come out and help all this out? Because that's the, the real work of hunting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And having somebody um, there as well to bounce an idea or a thought off of. To be like, should we really go after them? Is it worth it to go after them right now? You know, obviously when you're sick, it's a different story. I think the oh, yeah. story with Dylan is just not a normal hunting nope. situation. Um, no. But let's say somebody were to be put into that situation. And I'm going to go back real quick for those listeners who haven't listened to our last episode. It was a story on... My good friend Dylan did a backcountry hunt in Colorado where he ate some jerky that was bad and got really sick, ended up getting into the elk and decided to pursue the elk, was all by himself. He was at 1,200 or 12,000 feet 
and ended up killing this bull seven miles from his truck. And it turned into really a hunt of a lifetime, nearly escaping death. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, head on over to our podcast. And I believe it's episode 62. You can tune into that story. It's a really good one. It really makes you stop and think about if you are to go out in the woods and do a solo hunt, maybe you would approach things a little bit differently. So Matt, tell us what your thoughts were on that hunt. And if maybe he could have done something a little differently, what would you have done in that situation? Would you have turned around and gone back to camp to sleep off the sickness and heal up before pursuing killing an elk and having to pack that out all by yourself seven miles in? Sure. Yeah. So there were some things that it sounds like, and you get this information maybe towards the end of it that he did really well. So when I think about going out for a a hunt or really any excursion that you're going to go into the woods with, um, I call it an emergency action plan. And it's, it's, you know, our EAP is a document in which it has a map. Um, it has emergency numbers attached to it. Um, it has the plan if something goes wrong. So it has hospitals. What's the nearest hospital? Um, maybe air evacuation. So a lot of places in Colorado, we're fortunate to have um, organizations like Classic Air Medical or Lifeguard. Um, if you're in Idaho, Flight for Life or Montana, Flight for Life is uh, a big one up there. There's, there's multiple depending on where you're at. So um, knowing what, what air medical options you have are, are important. Another thing that's coming on, on with a lot of our 911 agencies are text 911. So if you have an inreach or um, maybe you just have self-service, can you text 911 what issues you're having? And, and when you call 911, if you're able to keep that signal for long enough, they can get a, what's called a ping on you. So get your location. They can track you um, basically. Yep. 911 text can be a, a cool option if it's available. It's not available everywhere and you really, um, you just have to call the agency where you're going to be. So if you called route County, they can tell you if you're hunting around here. Um, so then the other important thing with having this EAP is that you give a copy to one or two people. So they know where you're going. They have a map mm-hmm. of the area. Um, and with that, I always keep a, you know, if we're doing it operationally, there's a itinerary, but at least a time, on there when you would expect to be back. And it sounded Mm -hmm. like Dylan had that um, Mm -hmm. and, and people were getting ready to rally and respond because he was a little overdue. That's always a funny game of elk hunting in particularly is that if you shoot something at last light on the day before you're supposed to return or the day you're supposed to return, um, you're working, you're working into the night. So if you don't, it's like, sometimes I'll say to my wife, just give me 
like six extra hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's usually what I tell my friends and family too. I'm like, so ideally I'm going to be back for this time, but I'm going to have a grace period because if I'm packing something out, you know, especially if I'm by myself, you know, max of like 10 hours after that, then you should be worried. Yeah. Don't get worried till this time. Mm -hmm. So, and then, uh, you know, I'll take a picture of that or, or bring a a paper copy of that plan Mm -hmm. with me too. Um, you know, with electronics these days, it's easy enough to carry a lot of that on your phone. But mm-hmm. the other thing about the phone, like Dylan found out, is that sometimes, and sometimes our phones die. Mm-hmm. And and that's the, the hard part of technology or just like the extra step that you got to you mm-hmm. plan out for that. Um, so that kind of, that's like that pre-trip planning that I go through in my head. And then I kind of jumped into this thought of equipment list. So I like it. whenever I'm, I'm going out, I have, I have these lists, right? So I save them on my phone, but we have these different packs. So if I'm hunting, I have my hunting pack. If I'm skiing, I have a skiing pack. If I'm kayaking, I've got a dry bag and, and all of the things that are important and so like either it's cook gear or a survival kit or first aid kit they just get rolled over to whatever season it is right mm-hmm. um and hunting is is also fun and unique in that a lot of times maybe things that i, I bring for a survival kit i try and u- find pieces of gear that are are going to be able to use something else. So, you know, if we're hauling elk, I've got a strap or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so how that stuff can double down in a first aid kit or a survival kit. So what type types of things um, can be used for multiple purposes? Because we don't want to have this super heavy pack. I'm not, I'm certainly not a lightweight backpacker, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I like to be efficient. You know, yeah. I have friends who are right. really into lightweight and, and, um, that's, you won't see me that way to hunting camp, but yeah, I'm the same way. I would much rather overpack and be good in various situations versus underpack. Cause I want to have a light pack yeah. and then I don't have something when I need it. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think what I've found is the, the more experience and the more, you get older, you figure out, I don't, I never use that. So I'm not going to bring that or <laughs> whatever, you know, <laughs> double down on something else. So, um, my equipment list might be that, uh, you know, basic hunting gear stuff, but then I've got a cook gear, um, food list, meals and snacks, survival kit specifically first aid kit specifically and, um, where those things live. So, then that stuff is going to differ a little bit depending on especially hunting when we start archery hunting in september it's super nice a lot of times right like it's it's beautiful out it it, that works in in the nice benefit of going out there it makes it easier to sleep and camp and all that stuff but it doesn't always make it nicer for hunting Mm -hmm. i guess um but that stuff does shift too like what layers do I bring, which is a part of kind of the first aid kit or the thoughts that you're thinking. So when I 
when I look at the weather forecast, that helps me determine how you're going to build safety. What's that safety net you're going to be willing to flirt with in terms of layers mm -hmm. or, um, you know, is it, it, if you get into that rifle season, I was on a solo hunt, uh, second season, maybe last year. And, um, that storm came in and it snowed. I was at 9,000 feet and it snowed 18 inches. Wow. And I saw the storm coming in. I knew it was coming, but man, it was a lot. It's a lot of snow. <laughs> it was a lot of snow. What did you do in that situation? Tell us a little bit about that part of the hunt. Yeah, that was a, that was a good hunt. So I, uh, I also like to hunt off of a bike sometimes. And so I rode my bike pretty far in and then I'll lock my bike up and then hike in to make a base camp. Mm -hmm. And so, um, given that I saw this storm coming in, I, I biked in on beautiful weather and, but I, I, I often will bring just a tarp for a shelter. Well, in this case it's snowing. So I'm going to bring a tent. Mm -hmm. So I brought a tent just like it's that much more comfortable when you can zip yourself into a tent mm -hmm. when it's nuking snow outside. Right. And um, especially if it's windy too. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially. And it can be super windy here. Um, and so then you've got to think about, all right, if, if this, if that snowstorm's going to come in, all of your water sources could get frozen or they're going to be buried by snow and getting water when it's super snowy and cold out sucks. So that plays into some of that gear list. When I, go out there i'm bringing some way to to carry extra water so that could be i use what's called a dromedary um it's a like a camelback but it's just to carry water mm. and mm -hmm. so with that you know we talk about treating water you can either treat your water and fill these things or you fill it with dirty water and bring it back and filter that later. Gotcha. Um, the best, I, I personally would rather, I filter my water and then fill up the dromedary or uh, camelback. I'm not a fan of camelbacks because of the hose that can get clogged or, or freeze, right? So um, the dromedary is just a carrying device. It's got a little lid on it. Uh, with a spout, you could drink water out of too. Um, so I, I planned for that snowstorm to come in and, and filled up water and had water and then um, put that water under the in the tent actually because don't I want, didn't it, want to it to freeze, freeze. exactly. Yep. Um, so there's that, and then you know knowing that it was going to snow when you're using a backcountry stove if if you're going to be using snow to make your water that takes a lot of extra fuel or just when it's cold it takes extra fuel to make it all burn efficiently so you've got to uh really look at the weather cat forecast too to plan in how much fuel you're going to be bringing in and what are you going to cook and you know mountain house obviously super easy boil water poured into that mm -hmm. i I actually prepare my own meals. I think, uh, you know, mountain house can be fine, but I'm more of like bringing pasta and, mm -hmm. um, a supplement of, of, of chicken or, or something like that and rice and beans. 
Yeah, the mountain house is, doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. I can't I'm, do it. I'm way more into making my own. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You can dehydrate things, which is a super, you know, obviously more planning goes into that. But you can dehydrate all these meals and bring them, bring them into camp and just put water in it. And that makes it super easy. Same way that you get mountain house, but it's good food mm-hmm. from your uh, from a grocery store that you normally get. Right. Um, so then, you know, something to think about from the first aid side of things constantly as we're talking about water is that water purification system. Um, my favorite filter is a Sawyer filter. It's, it's uh, basically got a, a little bag and a, the filter is about this. You can put your hand around it. Um, and you just fill that bag up with your running water there and squeeze the water through the filter into a water bottle or mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like 15 bucks, 20 bucks. Pretty, and pretty just, cheap. Pretty yeah. Expensive. Replace the bag yeah. off of that. Yeah. So they can filter a lot of water, um, and you can drink out of them. But Aquamira is another one. People are into that. It's more of the chlorine based solution um life straw they make cool water bottles with filters on them too so um, you can buy those in like walmart i believe yep pretty accessible everywhere you go but some sort of water purification you got to have something Mm -hmm. out there and then part of that trip planning is where are your water sources fortunately for hunters we're looking at that too right we're like Mm -hmm. okay where you find water you're going to find elk as well so I, I kind of think of it as we're out there and, and we're all going to live together right? <laughs> during that time. Exactly. We're all just um, hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. I was on a hunt this year for first archery and it was, uh, it was in the high country back behind Redstone, Colorado. And all of our scouting was through Onyx. We never had been back there before, but my friend had a mule deer tag and an elk tag and he was like, you want to come with and film it for me and just hang out, be an extra set of eyes. And I couldn't resist. So we were looking at the map and there's all these different water sources. And we get up there and the closest water to where we were camping was down the mountain or mm-hmm. up the mountain into the next basin. Because all of those water supplies were dried up because it was an insane hot year. And Maybe that's what happens every year. I'm not sure, but you can't always rely on your map source. You know, it says, okay, here's water, here's water. And we got up there and we were dehydrated every day because we were needing, we brought all mountain house meals. And so we needed water for that. We um, needed water to drink. And we were almost in like this haze every day where we were just kind of delirious. Our energy was low. We were just always thirsty, but we knew we just we couldn't just drink our water freely like we normally do, unless if we wanted to hike all the way down the hill, you know, 400 yards at 13,000 feet to go get water. So yeah. don't always rely on your your yeah. mapping system to tell you where the water is at. It's important yeah. to know if that's actually accurate or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Have you ever had to try you- the tablets? using the tablets to put in your water to purify it? Um, I've messed around with them um, at home. I've never brought them into mm-hmm. the field yeah. to use. Um, 
Yeah. I would think that would be a great thing to have in your pack as like the ultimate backup because one of the water supplies that we did find, it was really slow moving water, pretty muddy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. dug out a hole and kind of waited for the sediment to settle and then put, you know, put the pump in and kind of wait a little bit for that to settle and then start pumping. But I feel like yeah. the tablets is always a good thing to have. And I always carry those in my first aid kit as well, just as, yeah, you know, the backup plan, plan C, plan D, if you can't yeah. get somewhat of clean water. Yeah, that's always been my Aquamira hmm. as a backup is, uh, you know, the, it's a part A and B solution. Okay. And you, you just mix it. You, you fill a little cap up with it, let it sit for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Okay. Changes this color and then you pour that into a, a liter of whatever you've got. Um, yeah. So say, say you having two, you know, it's pretty mm-hmm. great. Or the other thing I like is a SteriPen. definitely mm-hmm. on the more expensive side of things, but the UV radiation is, is really good. So you fill any, fill any Nalgene or something and, and swish that around inside of it. Um, it kills it all. Well. How long do you have to, do you know how long you have to swish it around usually for the, it's, it's about a minute okay. and, and it tells you on it. There's a timer on the, mm-hmm. on the pen. Yeah. Man, what did they do in really the old dirty. days before yeah. all this stuff <laughs> available? They just drank straight from the water source and <laughs> figured it out afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and sometimes got sick. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's water. I, mm-hmm. I think that you could spend a lot of time. Yeah, and re- and research really geeking out on on water purification too. Um, I think that the other piece when it there's there's planning of our our meals and things like that, and especially as hunters, you know, you you wake up in the morning and you want to just grab something and and go. I'm not into I'm not going to make a big meal or something mm-hmm. before I head out. So, but making sure that whatever I'm going to eat in the morning is usually like a hot drink or a coffee or a tea or something. And then a bar, but I'll bring, I have a, a pocket, not a pocket rocket stove, but, um, MSR makes really small, lightweight, um, stoves that mm-hmm. screw onto a canister and you're, it, it weighs nothing. And so that's a stove that I use and I'll bring that with me into the field. And so then especially if it's cold. I did that. I did have the four season elk tag this year and it snowed and it was really nice to be able to open that up uh, about 10 o'clock and make a nice tea. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I did in third rifle too. That's what got me through the day was some ramen noodle at about 11 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. It's huge. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Yeah. It warms you up. It gives you life and you're like, okay, okay. I'm good to go now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that being, that being said, then it's like, what, what do you have for lunch? I'm often on lunch, you know, gorp throughout the day, a cliff bar or a bar of some sort. And then I make pre-wrapped peanut butter and honey tortillas. Mm-hmm. Those are good. And, and I like have one or two of those for a day that just, you know, sugar in the backcountry, especially doing the, the high, energy hunting mm-hmm. activity um it's you know it's not just the run of the mill going on a hike it who knows what the day is going to look like but mm-hmm. our bodies thrive on that sugar and 
what we were made for way back in the day. If you if you can get sugar into your system, that's how we're able to keep going. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not saying on my regular diet, I eat tons and tons of sugar and peanut butter all the time, but that gets you through um, on a hunt like that. And then in the evening, getting a good meal of mm-hmm. carbohydrates to, to replenish that is the super important because like Dylan found it, when you get sick and vomit, then you're super dehydrated. Um, and the only way to really replenish that from a sickness like that is, is meals and time to let your body reabsorb that, all that water. Um, just drinking water as he found, he couldn't keep it down. And it just, you know, then you, you just kind of can drive your, your body into an even worse system. Mm-hmm. Um, so meal planning is, is super important to the beginning of all of that first aid and, and the problems that you could see out there, uh, I think. Um, Plus, it's really nice to come back and, to camp at the end of the day and have a good cooked meal after, like, snacking on cliff bars or whatnot all day. Uh, yeah. It's really good to just, like, sit down in your body. Like, I've noticed that over the years, too, is your body actually really needs it. It's like, okay, some food. I'm going to rest for a little bit, and then tomorrow we're going to do it again. Yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, I can remember doing, I used to guide, uh, elk hunting and bighorn sheep hunting in Idaho and Montana as well. And I can distinctively remember some, some hunts where we're all out there as guides scouting before these, our clients come in and we're on these solo missions. And I, I learned quickly about how nice it is with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice <laughs> evening meal. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. One of my most sacred things at this point is that ability to have a nice warm meal for dinner. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah. First aid kit. What do you carry in your first aid kit? Yeah. So survival kit, first aid kit. I think it, it it's all kind of in there, can be in there throughout my pack together. So, um, from a first aid kit standpoint, as hunters, one of the top things that we should all have is you could say, especially as archery, because may, maybe more accidents come in there, but I've heard of plenty of other search and rescue events um, where the thing that could happen to us is trauma associated. Trauma, I mean, bleeding, a lot of bleeding. Um, uh, so something that sits at the top of my kit well actually at the top of my pack not even in my first aid kit but at the top of my pack in the brain is a tourniquet that's a great Um, that's a great idea to put that right there yeah that's got to be number Mm -hmm. one because when you um you know i've heard stories of slicing hands or things like that with uh, the end of an arrow but really the gnarly story that i heard was was a elk hunter trying to to carve up a hind quarter where you got that quarter kind of resting on your knee like mm-hmm. if you don't have someone there they solo hunt classic i'm resting that bone right on my leg 
and and we we're just so excited and we're so amped and we you start carving away well right on your femur you have a really big artery and your femoral artery you you cut that and you're in a world of hurt right and that happened uh, a couple years ago read about it on on rabbit ears pass of someone who did that and so the idea of stopping bleeding from a massive uh area like your your thigh is is really really difficult mm -hmm. um and you don't have much time you know you, yeah. you'll bleed out in a matter of minutes depending on how bad you hit that artery and mm -hmm. we're talking about really sharp knives here right mm -hmm. so so you've got not only i i so first aid first aid standpoint i keep that tourniquet up there for an instance like that to be able to put that on quickly mm -hmm. um i've tested and and gone over this with students a lot on well i can improvise a tourniquet and we used to teach improvisions of tourniquets and i know people still do and um i'm not saying it's not possible i i've created um in the classroom out of a you know triangular bandage or mm -hmm. a, um just a just a handkerchief yeah. And, you know, the important thing about creating a tourniquet is the wind lisp. That's the stick that goes in there that you twist. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, you know, I've done this. I'm an EMT, but uh, I've done this with paramedics and have them actually bleed my arm. Right. So start an IV, let it bleed, open it up and then twist a tourniquet either homemade or mm -hmm. manufactured and try and stop that bleeding. Mm -hmm. And I've done it numerous times and I can't tell you how difficult it is. And a lot of times we can't do it with an improvised tourniquet. Really? What and your improvised tourniquets, what do those kind of look like? So when we talk about a tourniquet, it's gotta be at least two inches wide. Mm -hmm. You place it, um, we used to say high and tight. Some people will still say high and tight. So high up on the limb the, mm -hmm. the uh, um, I teach more now two inches above it, wherever that wound is. So two inches above that site and start twisting. And how do you know how tight to twist it? Well, until the bleeding stopped or we lose the distal pulse, but mm -hmm. really like the whole point of it is to put it on there and hopefully you lose that distal pulse at the time that, it stops bleeding, but sometimes you just have to keep twisting until um, it stops. So once that tourniquet's on there, it's it's on there. Um, there's been a lot of research done in the military about we used to be scared of putting tourniquets on because people would lose limbs. You leave it on there for too long. That has since changed dramatically. The military has shown us People are not losing limbs with tourniquets left on there for, for hours and hours. Like this is an immediate evac, right? Like mm -hmm. you got to go. We're not hanging out and trying to, this person's leaving and they need to leave now. So tourniquets have been on there for hours, 10 hours more and reversed in the hospital with no loss of limb, right? Mm -hmm. Things, other things could happen, you know, I, I, I'm not a doctor and, and to say who um, suffers what injury, but nerve damage, things like that from having something like that on there for a long time, but you didn't lose your arm, mm -hmm. you know?
Um, so a tourniquet's like top of my first aid list. It's at the top of my pack. It's not something that we want to mess around with. And I don't want to go digging through my pack to find it. But you said um, your tourniquet needs to be at least two inches wide. Yep. Right. And then is there, cause and I've heard stories of windless. people like grabbing a branch or like a stick and using that. Would that not work? No. Yeah. I don't see. Yeah. I mean, I, I played around with this a lot and mm-hmm. um, the branch is not wide enough to the, I, I, I mean, wh- it's possible that it could for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't see how you can get that tight enough, honestly, before it breaks Yeah. to, to actually cut off the blood flow mm-hmm. and stop it from bleeding. Does it have to have a certain uh, length or is it just the width that really matters? No, no. The width is what matters. We want to, gotcha. uh, you know, the more surface area we can put, along the bone of those arteries and veins Mm -hmm. the better chance we have of stopping it and the only way to get that tight enough is with a windlass so that could be a strong stick i like to think of uh maybe a a tent stick or um you could use a knife or something something that's not going to break you're going to be cranking on that thing and then it gets strapped down to the arm Mm -hmm. that's a great idea tent stake throwing that in your pack Mm mm-hmm yeah. Wow. So, you know, I create a lot of other things and that's what teaching wilderness medicine is all about is what, what can I use from my pack or from the woods to, to fix somebody? That's the fun part of medicine out in the woods, but that's just one that I don't mess around with. Um, cause we're talking about saving a life in a quick amount of time right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, to accompany that, though, then w- within my first aid kit would be trauma gauze. So what do I mean by that? There's a, a product called Quick Clot. Um, basically, it's gauze that's impregnated. It's got um, an agent within it that helps stop bleeding inside. So this is something where you're like you got a huge gash in your leg or a huge gash in your arm. You're taking this impregnated gauze and shoving it into your your wound Mm -hmm. um to stop the bleeding so sometimes that uh a lot of times that will accompany a tourniquet as well but you know hunters the things that we could get into again big bleeding so gauze of some sort and and this quick clot is is something that's really beneficial and again came from the army and and these huge gunshot wounds, that's what, where it was first used and tried. Um, other things you could put in there, triangle bandage, but again, if you use, if you have a bandana, that can substitute. So making slings and swaths. Um, of course, I keep band-aids, big, small, large types of band-aids in there. Um, you know, we often are hunting with friends, so again at the top you might you're gonna want to put gloves so we don't want to touch other people's mm-hmm. that's very um, important blood but yeah. gloves and so and some people carry gloves in their um in their pack for gutting an animal i would say like this isn't an area where you want to double down that because if you use the gloves to gut an animal and then someone gets mm-hmm. hurt on your way out yeah then you don't have any gloves exactly so 
Um, gloves, super important. Two pairs, um, three pairs. If I'm, you know, going out there for a longer time, um, four by four gauze, uh, five packs of that. So something that you're going to clean up these major traumas with. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a non-adhesive it's called, or adaptic is the brand name of it. Uh, it's a nice thing to be able to put on blisters and things like that. Um, something when we talk about, um, quick clot feminine hygiene pads, it's what they're designed for. They're great. Slap that on a, a massive bleeding wound and that mm -hmm. will help a lot. Um, with that Coban or Coflex Coban, um, uh, is a wrap, like a vet wrap, um, ACE wrap, all of those types of things to, for splinting or something like that. Again, you can improvise some of this, um, but this is a kind of a first aid kit of sorts. And then, uh, band-aids, various sizes, you know, for me, the band-aid thing is like, I we're out in the woods and especially carving up animals, nicking fingers, nicking just little things from our knife can end us in a end a trip or you know if that mm -hmm. gets infected that's yeah. that's the hard part. So the band-aid more for me is is like okay, let's try and keep this thing clean and dirt or blood or other things out of it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and prevention. Um, so, um, trauma sear, trauma shears, which, uh, it's a scissor, right? So sometimes I do that, but, um, sometimes I have the Leatherman, um, which has some scissors on it. Trauma shears are nice. Like if you're going to have to cut through that, uh, that could cut through jeans or cut through deep clothing, but, um, oftentimes try and go a little bit lighter. Um, something to consider is a pocket mask, right? So doing CPR on someone um, that has changed in COVID. I could say that <laughs> um, right. without getting into too much detail. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can create splints. So there is a, a company called Sam, Sam Splint, um, which is uh, a great splint. Uh, I've been a ski patroller on the steamboat ski patrol for a long time. And, and that's something we use up there as well. Um, or, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to have that per se in your, in your backcountry kit. You could create go like go to the woods, depending on where you're at and create a splint for mm -hmm. sure. Um, second skin is something that's pretty helpful, uh, when blisters are coming on. Right. Um, it's a gel type of a, a patch that can go on your heel. Um, it's can be definitely a lifesaver. Um, athletic tape, duct tape. I, I bring both. Um, duct tape for lots of things, right? You <laughs> can use it for so many things. <laughs> so many things. Um, yeah. The athletic tape is nice to not always have to put right on your skin. Yeah. Um, duct tape can be pretty messy, especially on a, something that you're going to deal with for the whole, for, for multiple days. Um, the glue can just be kind of a pain in the butt later. Mm -hmm. 
steri strips steri strips are kind of like uh um stitches improvised stitches mm-hmm. um a syringe to clean wounds out thermometer especially today is like you know if you're guiding especially it's kind yeah. of um become a standard um triple antibiotic ointment um benadryl or a benadryl cream can be super helpful too hydrocortisone cream mm-hmm. um Benadryl is one of those things where, I, I mean, it, you'll hear people carrying them if they have allergies or something, um, hay fever or bees or something like that, but um, can be, I, I think people don't always think about Benadryl, but it can be helpful for things out there. Um, and then, like I said, I don't per se keep this in my first aid kit, but glucose. So. Um, I mentioned earlier within foods, meals and snacks are important and, and what you eat out there is important and glucose is something straight glucose is being sugar is something that our, our brains and our bodies really need to thrive well. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the snacks that you're going to pack, not every sugar candy is equal in its glucose. Correct. Right. That's so, a great point. So it's really important to read the, the packaging, read the ingredients of how much sugar is actually in those things. So um, you know, being from Steamboat too, I I bring honey stinger gummies. Yeah. Those the honey are stingers awesome, are great. Right? Yeah. Like they're great for mountain biking, they're great for hunting, they're great for so many things and and a couple of those can go a really long way so Mm -hmm. and they make a goo as well which um can can lead into a host of other uh illnesses and um aloe you know dealing with poison ivy or something like that it's nice to have something like that um perhaps in there um so that's kind of i think maybe the last thing and you learn a little bit more about, well, you learn a lot more about all of this in a class like a wilderness first responder, but a, a soap note. So a subjective assessment plan. So when, when, when we are dealing, especially with someone else um, who has an injury, we want to document things that we're doing to them especially if you call search and rescue or this person's going to go into the hospital, writing down what you did is very helpful for a search and rescue team or a helicopter that's coming in because they want to know how this person's base, what is this person's baseline and, and how far have they come baseline being like, what were their, their heart rate or were all their vitals. So without getting too much into all of that, um, it's important to document the treatments all the way through. Um, so that's, that's the first aid kit. I think an important thing to plan is if, if we have a big trauma like this, it's going to take a long, long time to get out. Right. So if you have a big cut that needs 
uh, search and rescue on your to get out, whether that's a, a litter or something like the person can't walk out. That's when we come into this survival kit. So thinking about staying in one place out in the backcountry for a long period of time, you're going to get cold. Um, and then you've got hypothermia kicking in and all these other things. It just compounds when you get hurt, mm-hmm. right? So Food, water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so like this list, this, this stuff lives in my pack no matter where I'm going. The survival kit, I have a bivy sack, a signal mirror, flint and steel. I like uh, Vaseline covered cotton balls. Why is that? Uh, you know, like you light those things on fire and mm. that's, that'll light quick. So, you know, you can get tree sap, you can get all kinds of other things, but um, from the survival mindset, like collecting all this stuff in an emergency, if it's sometimes hurt, more difficult. Yeah. yeah. And if you're hurt, so like being able to deal with whatever right there, mm-hmm. um, a pad to stand on. So in my pack, I have like, um, it's like a foam, it's a foam pad, but I cut it from what used to be a sleeping pad, a foam sleeping pad, mm-hmm. probably not like the most comfortable thing to bring sleeping. And there's a lot of awesome pads out there these days, but this can be really helpful. I encourage everyone who I'm traveling with to have a piece in their pack and getting someone up off of the ground will, is, is the, the difference between getting hypothermia and not. Wow. So, uh, you know, using your pack is a way or using their pack to get up off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. But then you need more pieces. So the pack and the pad, and if you're with somebody else and they have a pack and a pad, now we can start to get this person up off of the ground into some more warm layers in a bivy sack, preferably like you've got a sleeping bag. So this is, you know, I got to go back to camp or, or something to get this or put on more layers. Um, you're in a sleeping bag in a baby sack. Uh, and, and that is what's going to help you make it through the evening um, and not get crazy cold. The pad, that kind of pad, especially if you're hunting in the snow is super nice too. It's like, I'm going to sit on this and not sit in the snow. Yeah, exactly. Um, multi multi-purposes to it and it really doesn't weigh much like it's not that hard to Mm -hmm. just put it behind your your shoulder straps and and leave it in there um then i've got a lighter in there flagging and the flagging i'll often bring that hunting anyway like if i'm doing i want to go back to my the the animal later i'll and if it's maybe tucked somewhere I, i flag it yeah go this way um Depending on the time of year, maybe some hand warmers in there, uh, an extra strap. And and the strap thing is like, it depends on what I'm doing. Oftentimes there's straps around on my pack for hauling out elk anyway, so that's somewhere. Um, so that's kind of like that survival kit. Important things. I think within other systems, something that we all have is a knife or hopefully multiple knives. Um, hunting, I just one of those things. If I like knives, so I'm going to bring a few. Exactly. Um, a multi-tool. So it's a, it's got pliers, it's got scissors, it's got 
a little saw in there, all, all kinds of things. Um, and, you know, this technology is probably this other big piece. So this is the survival kit type of thing. But when, when everything's going down and you're going to need help, do you have a cell phone that has battery? Um, I do bring an extra battery to be able to charge my phone. Um, and in addition to that, I've got an inReach. So there's companies that make that different. So Spot was probably one of the big known companies that first came out with it. Um, Garmin inReach is something that I really like. I think, um, I think Spot, you can do this now as well, but the inReach connects to an app on your phone and you can text straight from it, text from your phone and it sends right out. Um, can you do but, that if you don't have cell service yeah. though? No service. Yeah. You don't need service. Yeah. Nope. No service. And it works. Awesome. Um, it basically acts as a hotspot. Mm-hmm. Um, or you don't need your phone and you just need help right then. There's an SOS button on it. You click SOS and that's going to the nearest uh, 911 dispatch. Um, and you can set up pre-messages to send to other folks too. That's that's the nice part of the inReach is you could say, you know, you could just have it go to a friend that's like, hey, you know, I'm not seriously hurt, but I need some help. So I not, think back to Dylan's know. story and if he his phone yeah. had died, like he could have right you know, called somebody, but his phone was dead. And so it was like, all right, well, I'm on my own. So I think having an extra portable charger or solar charger of something of some sort, that's going to be able to phone up or sorry, charge up your device. Even if it's just giving you 25% of battery, as long as you can get a little bit of something to call out for that help. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so extra battery, solar chargers, um, something of that. And then, you know, just planning whether that's, you know, that's going to be your method or you're going to go with, I'm going to have an in reach or a spot or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. Super important. Oh, really important so, things. Very important. Yeah. It's kind of a whole host of things and a lot, maybe a lot of information, but, um, but I think as like, I'm going to definitely go back through this episode and I'm going to write a list of everything yeah. you said, because there's a lot of things that you talked about that I don't have in my pack. And I think back to like this past year, archery season and all that deadfall that I was going through, mm-hmm. there was a few times I'm like, what am I doing? You know, and there was a couple times like stepping down, you're going down these steep inclines and this deadfall and all it takes is one misstep for one of those branches to slice right up through your leg, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. This was the first year that I carried a tourniquet, but I really yeah. like the idea of keeping that right in the front of your pack accessible. You don't have to, like, try and dig through everything. Yeah. It's right there. You can find it. You can apply it really quick. Yeah, for it to be really successful, it's got to be applied quick, and mm-hmm. the only way it gets on quick is if it's at the top. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any stories um, you would like to share of maybe some sort of, um, I know you are kind of diverse. You're all over the place, 
with swift water and avalanche training. Um, but do you have any, uh, first responder stories from times that you guys have had to go out and help somebody? Um, you know, a lot of my, as a first responder, most of my work has come on the ski hill and um, ski patrol, ski patrolling. And, and, you know, we, we see things all the time, um, from, from minor, you know, we're there to help people. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the coolest part of that job is we're here to help you, whether you just want to ride down or, you know, you're having the worst day of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the cool part of that, that job. And, yeah, we've certainly seen our fair case of, of accidents and, um, you know, steamboat being a large ski area, there's, yeah, there's stuff that happens out there. Um, just like every ski area, but, um, it just does, it does on the river too in the summer. (laughs) For sure. You know, for sure. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, I can't, no, nothing like specifically comes to mind of, of, a of a big story or accident that I think the cool part about patrolling and being up there or search and rescue, any of those types of things is that you have this awesome team mm-hmm. to rely on. And so overall, whenever a rescue is going on, that's one of the coolest parts is watching everyone's specialties kind of come together on a, on a big accident. Um, whether it's a, a skier versus tree or, a, you know, medical or something, um, seeing how, how, a, a, a scene can play out between the incident commander to the toboggan showing up to the, the different, um, devices you would put on someone for a, a hurt back or, or something like that. And just seeing the teamwork that comes together to, to get the person out and that's you know no different if you're going to call for a search and rescue the search and rescue in and route county is pretty phenomenal they've got a lot of resources and are well funded and do some really amazing things for folks um and you know like i mean i'm a hunter and i, I will always be always have been and one thing that's that's interesting about our population is that search and rescue events go up during hunting season. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we push it, we push yeah. it, we get out there mm-hmm. and, um, and as prepared as people try and be inevitably, there's a lot to think about. Yeah. Um, nature, nature is much more stronger than we will ever be. You know, it's always going to test sure. us. Yeah. Yeah. That and first so snowstorm you know, every year always gets me. Yeah. <laughs> You're every never time. prepared for it. <laughs> every time. Fall in the Rockies. I was commenting with a friend today. I was like, oh man, it's 35 degrees out right now. And you know, it's, it's pretty warm. We're skiing. It's, you know, I got the right layers on. It feels good. And, and when it's 35 degrees out in that first storm in September, October, you're like, man, it is cold. Cold. It is really (laughs) cold out here. Right. I didn't wear the right layers today. I I should have brought that other puffy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is, uh, you know, I hope folks, if anything, take away looking for uh, the resources and education to learn more and, and develop themselves more as hunters from whether that's a, a wilderness first responder, wilderness first aid class um, to 
you know, we teach at CMC backcountry navigation to learn map and compass skills. Um, yeah, mountain mountain orientation, just learning your way to backpacking through the woods if you're new to that. So um, just constantly learning, I think, is a, a important part. And it's at your fingertips right now. You know, look at this podcast. Look at YouTube. Yeah, so many lot, different resources out there. A lot of ways there. to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. So once again, for our listeners, let's say someone's looking to take a class on wilderness safety or anything regarding that kind of once again, direct them into the right place where they can find them. Yeah. Here, so yeah. You, yeah, you have a couple of options and, and Colorado has a lot of, of educational opportunities. Um, a wilderness first responder class is an 80 hour course and commonly taught as a hybrid. So you do stuff online and then show up for five days, but traditionally was taught as a 10 day course. Um, given people's schedule, it's hard to take 10 days off of work to go to do something like that. So the hybrid model is uh, much more beneficial. Um, and Colorado Mountain College offers uh, a lot of those courses at a bunch of our different campuses. And um, I happen to teach for a company called Desert Mountain Medicine based out of Leadville, Colorado. And, and we offer a lot of courses all over the West. So um, there's that. And then you've got backcountry navigation. So, so some sort of a skill-based class to look at GPSs and maps and compasses and, and just knowing your way in, in the outdoors. And, and we'll do them in the desert. We'll do them in the mountains. We'll do it. So depending on what your flavor is, we do it in winter. We do it in summer. We do it in fall. Depending on what you're, where you spend your time, kind of look towards taking a class that's centered around that environment. Um, we do a survival skills class, super fun. You know, it's just like want to go push your limits and, and see what it's like to be out there with just a day pack. That's what that class is all about. You know, building your own shelter, starting your own fire, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So, there's a, a few classes that you can find at CMC and um, probably look at other colleges or, or uh, organizations around the country. Yeah, whatever area you're in, look that up. It's always good just to have it. And I've been meeting, meaning to take that class myself, the Wilderness First Responder. Yeah. Um, so you and I will probably have to talk about that. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, yeah. We can do that. Get a course lined up, but... A lot of really great information tonight, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I have learned so much. I've got a little list going of things cool. that I need to add to here and there, and hopefully our listeners were able to take something away from this. Is there anything else you want to add regarding um, wilderness safety in general? Even, even if you're not a hunter and you're out there and you're camping yeah. or you're backpacking, especially if you're with your kids and you have people that you're yeah. taking care of. Um, this relates to you guys as well. It's not necessarily just towards yeah. someone who's hunting. So any last you know, what, comments on that, Matt? Would, one thing I would probably, I, I didn't mention this, but it's super important. Um, and when you said kids, I have two kids and it reminds me of, you know, hand sanitizer, like how we, how we, keep our clean hands um 
can really improve our health and make sure that we're going to be able to stay in the woods for the full time that we want to, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a good hygiene that comes down to like, what's your poop kit? Like, are you have hand sanitizer there and have hand sanitizer in my cook kit? And I'm, 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 I'm pretty diligent on that side of things because I would hate to get sick right. from something like that. And so, something you know, especially so with our kids, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. you're going outside, um, and we're eating outside. Let's just wash our hands before we eat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think otherwise, you know, you just got to play around with this stuff. Um, don't, don't build it the night before you're going to go on a hunt trip, mm-hmm. uh, build all this stuff in the winter and the off season right now, play with it. I think, um, get, yeah. I really enjoy it. And I, obviously I teach with it a lot, but mm-hmm. I think it's fun to, to just pull that stuff out and get everyone involved. Look at all your stuff. And there's so many different resources. Like we were saying that's out there, you know, you can YouTube it, you can listen to podcasts, you can take a class, you can go on social media. Like it is around us everywhere at our fingertips, but we just yeah. need to be able to utilize it and have those right resources to make sure we are prepared because we don't want to come down to a situation when we're out in the mountains, whether we're alone or with our kids or with our friends and we don't have the right resources to take care of what's in front of us. That's I listened to an episode this last year and then watched a video from, I don't know if you've heard of Corey Jacobson. Yeah. Yeah. Most people know who Corey Jacobson is. They, had a, a hunt that they did and one of the cameramen he also had his bow and arrow with him and an arrow fell out and it fell on the ground and he stepped right in front of it and the broadhead went right up into his calf muscle and they oh. were four miles a couple i think i might be wrong but they were a, a good ways away from like a good trail um yeah. but that that video really made me stop and think about what is in my first Kate first aid kit? Like if this were to happen, like, am I prepared? And so I pulled out my first aid kit then and it was in the winter time. And I was like, all right, I made a list and I'm like, I'm just going to start buying this stuff. So by the time springtime yep. comes around when I'm turkey hunting and shed hunting and I'm out there in the woods, I'm just going to throw it in my pack and it's going to live in my pack all the way through elk yeah. season. Mm-hmm. One thing I didn't mention, uh, you just mentioned that in the, um, first aid kit was Tylenol and ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those two drugs can get you through a lot of pain. Yeah. Actually. Pain, fever, mm-hmm. things like that. So yep, super important. Matt, great episode, man. A lot of information. Like I said, I've learned a lot and that's why I'm so stoked to do this podcast thing is I get to talk to people and I'm going to learn so much (laughs) along the way. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time, for coming on and sharing with our listeners a little bit about, you know, most importantly, what's, what's important to have with you when you're out there because the knowledge you have is knowledge, but when it comes down to it, what's in your pack is very important. So it's true. Thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you or learn more about this? Do you have any resources websites, anything you want to share with people where they can look up easy, reliable information. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you can, you can find me. I work at Colorado Mountain College in, in Steamboat. And, um, so, um, head, heading over to just the Colorado Mountain College webpage will get you to all the different classes that we have. Um, right there, you can search for credit classes. Um, and, and, a CMC is just a great community college to, to not only work at, but for our mountain communities, for folks to take classes like this. Um, and so, um, whether you're, you know, want to come to Steamboat or, or Leadville or Breckenridge or Glenwood to look at it, would they all offer classes like the ones I, I mentioned? Um, and so, yeah, uh, I'm in town in Steamboat. Feel free to look me up. Um, all of my information's on the webpage there too. And yeah. And also if any um, of you guys are looking to take a swift water course, which is yeah. a lot of fun, if you run rivers, whether you're a fly fishing guide or a private rafter, or you're going out with your friends or your family, mm-hmm. the river is also another place that's insanely powerful. Uh, yeah. being a raft guide for nine years, I've, I've really come to respect the river. I've taken the swift water course twice and I yeah. think I'm due to take it in the next year, but it's also another great resource to have. And we have so yeah. many different companies and people around here in Colorado in general that offer that course. So that's another one. If yeah. you guys are yeah. out on the water, it's another really great resource to have. For sure. Which we should do a um, an episode further on down the road about that one, about sure. water rescue. <laughs> sure, we can do uh, that. That's a whole other topic. We can do that. Yeah. It is. So. It is. All right, Matt. It's been great. Thanks once again. Thanks, Drea. Yep. And yep. have a good night. You too. Bye. To the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.